clear for takeoff. The winds are calm. Check the park and break off maneuver. Diamond burner loop with a right turnout. Let's run them up. The Women of Color STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with the first African-American pilot to fly with the Blue Angels, Captain Donnie Cochran. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Captain Donnie Cochran. Captain Cochran's Navy career included duty as a fighter pilot, flying the RF-8G and F-14A and D from the decks of the aircraft carriers USS Nimitz, USS Coral Sea, USS Enterprise, USS Ranger, and the USS Kitty Hawk. Captain Cochran was the executive officer and commanding officer of Fighter Squadron 111. Captain Cochran's distinguished career also included two tours with the United States Navy Flight Demonstration Squadron, the Blue Angels. Now, Captain Cochran is a recognized expert and motivational teacher in both the military and business sectors who inspires high performance in individuals and organizations to achieve heightened and sustained performance in both their personal and professional lives. Without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and welcome everyone. Captain Donnie Cochran, I'm telling you, listening to uh, the introduction there just absolutely was fascinating. I can't wait to dig in and learn more about your distinguished career and your background. But first, let me do things uh, right and ask you how it's going. Well, things are going fantastic. Uh, I have been very, very busy uh, working on the farm where I grew up. So I'm, I'm excited about what's going on there. Very cool. And so actually, uh, that's a great place to start. Thinking about your upbringing, it's always a real inspiration to hear how folks actually got started, not just in their careers, but on their journey in life. And so uh, knowing that you grew up on a farm, can you tell us how those interesting beginnings have actually shaped who you are today? Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, when I look back at, at my life and my career, there were two primarily influences in my life. Uh, the first being uh, family bad values and the second being the farming experience. Uh, I was fortunate to, to grow up on a farm, like I said, and I had two parents, two wonderful parents, uh, my mom and dad. They did a tremendous and amazing job raising 12 siblings. I was one of 12. Wow. Uh, nine, boys, nine boys and three girls. In fact, my dad created his own labor force by having those <laughs> nine boys to actually go out and, uh, and, and take care of all of the requirements of working on a farm. Now, my, my, my mom and dad believed in a verse from Proverbs, which said, train up a, a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And when I think about the way we were raised, when you have 12 kids, nine boys especially, how do you maintain control? Well, they were very strict discipline-wise to make sure that we had certain rules that we followed to ensure that uh, we, number one, got the work done, and number two, treated each other with, with respect and, uh, and understanding. Uh, during the course of, of, let's say, growing up, we learned some unique values of respect, honesty, discipline, and teamwork, all of those values that are essential for you to have a successful career in business or in, in, in life in general. Well, we learned those working in the farming environment, uh, which is that second influence, which is the farm. What was really neat about our farm was the fact that we owned it 
So we did not necessarily have to work for other farmers, although we did from time to time. And keep in mind, this is in, in South, South Georgia in the 60s and 70s when there were lots of issues when it comes down to racial issues and tension. And what was really unique from our perspective was owning our own farm sort of shielded of, of away from some of the issues that you could deal with in the deep south in the 60s and 70s. Don't get me wrong that we experienced the same issue that most people, most African-American experience, but we were limited because we had our own farm. And I think looking back, having those unique experiences, working on a farm and the family values made a wonderful difference in terms of, of my perspective and how I was able to move forward and, and achieve some of the goals I set for myself. Mom and dad believed in education. Uh, we had to work a full day and still come home and do our homework after doing, uh, uh, you know, three or four hours after school. And so they firmly believe in it, a great education because they realized that that was the tool that will allow them, uh, their kids, to go on and pursue the dreams they have for themselves. And, and I, I think I'm an example, but I, there are several other of my brothers and sisters, in fact, all of us, were, have been reasonably successful in life. So it sounds like you really were blessed to have uh, a strong family dynamic, your parents instilling in you all uh, just a really powerful work ethic, but also it sounds like they planted some seeds of faith in you as well. And and I got to imagine that all of that mixed together uh, as you were growing up uh, had to spark the passion uh, that has guided you uh, on into your adulthood. So can you speak to us a little bit about what is it that you're passionate about and where does that come from? That is a, a very good question. Uh, I can tell you that uh, a lot of my inspiration occurred uh, while I was working on the farm. Uh, as an example, uh, my desire to fly airplanes. Uh, was inspired as we were working uh, in the fields. Uh, often we had various airplanes that overflew the farm where we were working. And uh, that part of, of aviation, just seeing it from the ground, not knowing specifically how to go about flying, it inspired me and, wanted, and gave me that desire to, to look further into what it would be like to actually fly airplanes. So as I grew older and uh, that desire became more of a passion, uh, then I started looking into, well, how do I go about achieving that goal? And one of the ways uh, I was able to achieve that goal was to um, pursue the ROTC program. Uh, and the way I was inspired by that was my brother was, uh, was a year ahead of me at uh, Savannah State. And he joined the ROTC program, and he came home one summer, and he was wearing his uniform, and he was getting ready to go outside of the country to South America. And I was inspired by the desire to travel as well as fly airplanes. And so uh, the Naval ROTC program provided a pathway not only for pursuing the aviation piece, but also for the travel, desire to travel and see the world. Uh, but all of that occurred as a result of being on the farm. And, uh, and, and as I said earlier, the, the work ethic required to get the job done, the attitude required to work as a team, all of those qualities are essentially the same qualities it took to, to be successful in aviation. So, so my inspiration from the farm was, was complete, you might say. Thanks for sharing that. And it really gives us a, a good uh, grounding in how it is that you kind of got started on that path in aviation. So you go off to school, you study civil engineering technology, and then you go into serve our country. Uh, what was it that made you decide to go from your academic training into the Navy as opposed to looking at uh, industry or, or the private sector? How did you wind up going in that direction? 
Well, it was a, a simple uh, process for me. And, and first of all, I needed to have funding to pay for my education. And the Naval ROTC program provided the pathway, the financial resources, as well as fulfilling that desire to fly airplanes and travel and see the world. So, so basically, my approach to um, going from Savannah State into the U.S. Navy was essentially, that decision was made when I joined the ROTC program as a freshman. And uh, I fully realized that I was committed. I made a commitment because once you receive a scholarship, uh, you incur a commitment to join the Navy for about four years. If you go into aviation, it's a slightly longer. But my pathway to from Savannah State to the Navy was set as a freshman, and which was okay because I needed the financial resources to pay for my education. And and what's really neat about going to a historically black college is not only do you get a great education, but you have to work and earn it like you do anywhere else. But also you're very grounded and, and have that awareness of, of your roots. And uh, and so when I went to the Navy, I was fully aware of who I was as a person. No one had to tell me I was an African-American or anything like that. I knew that. And I knew what I had to do in order to, to be competitive within uh, the naval aviation community. Wow. So I've been chomping at the bit since we got started. So let's go there. You you started talking about uh, this really cool experience of flying planes and not only just flying them, but even off of these uh, historic aircraft carriers. Uh, I see the USS Nimitz, USS Coral Sea, USS Enterprise, and so on. Uh, and, and, and there are these distinguished service acknowledgments and accolades that we heard about, not only being the first African-American pilot to fly with uh, the Navy's flight demonstration uh, squadron, but also uh, being the first African-American to actually uh, be involved administratively uh, in command, the first pilot to be the commanding officer and flight leader of the Blue Angels. So how did you get connected to the Blue Angels to begin with? That's a good question. Uh, I believe that uh, everyone that has an opportunity to see the Blue Angels uh, are inspired uh, by the precision, by the, the speed and the sound uh, and the exhilaration of just watching the air show. Uh, a lot of pilots, on the other hand, they, they would like to go a step further, and that is they would like to actually pursue the desire to, to fly airplanes, to fly as a Blue Angel pilot. And I was one of those young people that saw the Blue Angels uh, at, at the Naval Air Station Miramar, and I wanted to pursue, I wanted to know what it would be, be like to be a part of a team that execute maneuvers as the Blue Angels did. So I was inspired by watching the team, and the good news is I developed the skill sets and was flying the aircraft that allowed me to be competitive to apply for for a position, for an opportunity to be a part of the team. There are absolutely no guarantee when you apply for, for any organization that, that you will be accepted. Uh, that was the case for me. I was not selected the first time, so I reapplied the second time, and I was very, very fortunate to be selected the second time. When I heard that... Uh I should reapply again. I immediately took action. All of us have those opportunities when that little bird in, in your ear tell you you should do something. And sometimes you need to take action on that. For me, that was the action I took. And uh, uh, from there, I was selected as a finalist and had interviews. And one of the questions that I was asked, that I still remember, was if you're selected to be a part of the team, you're going to be the first black pilot to fly with the Blue Angels. Are you going to feel any additional pressures being the first? And and I replied, I said, uh, it's not a matter of whether I'm going to have additional pressures or not. It's a matter of how I'm going to deal with the pressures. And I believe flying off the ship day and night uh, in, in some very challenging 
type environments has prepared me well for some of the challenges I could face flying with the Blue Angels. And uh, that was the gist of how I responded. One of the other questions I think is pertinent to, to any of us pursuing those, well, in 1985, the team lost a pilot. And one of the questions they asked me was, in light of the fact that we had a misset and we lost one of our pilots, has that dampened your enthusiasm for wanting to be a part of the team? And my response was, I said, uh, it has not at all. It's, it's very unfortunate that you have mishap, but I can tell you that if you thought it was going to happen to you, you probably would go out and fly it all. The other thing that, that I think is important was I believe that the procedures, the training, and the mentality that it takes to go out day in and day out minimizes the risk associated with flying uh, the air show. So I, I felt that I was excited, even though there was a mishap, I'm still excited about being a part of the team. And these are some of the, the responses that I had and, and some of the feelings that I had about being a part of the team. One last thing I like to cover, and that is, well, after I went through the interview process, I was selected. And uh, the way they announced it was they called us up and uh, the applicant officer said, hey, uh, big time, uh, we, we have decided what we're going to do. And, but we noticed that uh, when you were flying the F-8, you had some bolters. A bolter is when you land on the ship and you don't catch a wire. You go back around and try it again. And I said to myself, yeah, that's true, but what does that have to do with being selected to the team? And they said a few other things. And then they said, despite all that, we've selected you. And I can tell you that I had this overwhelming exhilaration of excitement followed immediately by, oh my goodness, what have I gotten into? <laughs> but <laughs> but I've learned, I've learned this is is you take your life one day at a time. I was not expected this the day I reported to be flying an airplane. You go through a process mm -hmm. to get to where you need to be. So I learned right away that I couldn't allow my exhilaration and thoughts of anxiety to keep me from feeling good about the process. And that anxiety had to change from anxiety to commitment in order to get to the point where you could fly the airplane uh, as a Blue Angel pilot. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. that note that you ended on, turning anxiety into commitment, that is such a huge learning. And that is something that you were aware of as you were going into this experience, as you look back on it now, what else would you say are some key learnings that you had from that whole time in your life that you now continue to draw up on today? Uh, well, let me just say this. I have this, these principles that I, I talk about, and I call them the five C's and an A. And these are the pillars of, of, of not only leadership, it is team building, trust, and individual accountability. And I think they're all related. And, and what the five C's and A stand for is uh, character, competency, commitment, communications, and courage. And the A stands for accountability. Now, uh, as from an individual standpoint, you have to make sure that, that your character is second to none, that you're competent in what you do, that you, you're committed to what you're doing, uh, that you communicate very effectively, and, and that you have the courage to, to, to have those tough conversations when you got to have them. But the same thing applies when you're talking about a team. If you're part of a team, you got to have that character. And, and let me just talk about character just a little bit. When we were flying air shows, we were asking each other the series of questions. And the questions that we were asking were very simple. And the very first question that was asked was one about your character. Now, these questions weren't verbal questions. There, there was how you flew your airplane. 
And and the first question was, uh, do you walk your talk? Do you do what you say you're gonna do when you're supposed to do it? And you have to make sure that you have the character necessary to make sure that you can move forward. And 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 they wanna know, do, are you gonna do the right thing, not just when you're sitting in the cockpit of the airplane, but whenever you're outside of the cockpit and nobody's watching. So it's vitally important to make sure that you have a character that's second to none. Now, when it comes down to competency, the question that was asked there, do you have the skills, the know-how to do your job successfully and efficiently? But when you're flying three feet away from a jet, guess what? That's not enough. The question becomes, do you have mastery of the skill to do your job and do you have capacity to bring added value now the added value piece is are you the type of person that show up that always have a positive attitude and people really like seeing you showing up that's an added value and it's vital important to know that you bring know yourself and know what you bring to the table uh, so, but I could go through all of them, uh, that, but I'll, I'll cover the accountability piece because that's so important. And uh, the question there was, do you hold yourself accountable for your performance, your attitudes, your behaviors? It's not one or the other, it's one and the other. In other words, you could be a great performer, but you have a rotten attitude. And, and that would just suck the life out of the organization. You have to have the 360-degree performance package. It is the performance, the attitude, the behaviors. All of those components of, 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 your, of your performance are necessary uh, to be a cohesive organization to get, the thing, get things done. That makes sense. It absolutely does make sense. Okay, one of the one of the issues associated with living in today's environment is very volatile, and uh, one that's experienced a lot of turbulence, a lot of headwinds, and and just getting things done, especially with covert and the jar market and the political issues that we have going on. Well, uh, when you were flying with the Blue Angels, we had to fly in real headwinds and real turbulent conditions. And there was a certain mentality that it took to be able to execute in those type of conditions. I believe that mentality is, is essentially what I use today to stay grounded and to stay uh, connected with who I am so that as we're dealing with all of the issues out there, you can still maintain focus on what you need to get done. So, so, for instance, as we were flying through those very turbulent conditions, everybody was impacted. The flight leader was and all the wingmen were impacted. So it was very important for everyone to take ownership for their performance. I mean, your hands are full. Everyone is, is really focused totally on the task at hand because it's so volatile. And as you're flying through those situations, it was important that you not overreact to the conditions you were in. I mean, the airplanes were bouncing around and, and you knew if you maintain a certain uh, level of control, you were not gonna hit each other. And it was, it was vitally important that you maintain that, that type of control. Because if you overreact to the conditions, associated with what you were, the environment you were flying in, you could actually send a ripple through the entire formation. But here's the key. If you are a leader and you overreact or you are not stable in very volatile conditions, then the people following you won't have a, a chance of being in position. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, how stable are we when the going gets rough? Do we overreact? Do we become very harsh and abrasive in our tone of voice? 
the it's the time when it's very volatile is when we have to be more inspiring for the people that are following us in their turbulent and very difficult, challenging uh, situations. And I believe that that applies to to what we're trying to what we're experiencing today. Um, and, and it's a simple concept, but I got to tell you, it is. Uh, essentially what was required to fly in those very volatile and turbulent conditions that we had to fly in sometimes. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Bea 1989 Black Engineer of the Year, Captain Donnie Cochran. This week's episode is brought to you by the 2020 Women of Color STEM Conference. And now, a word from our sponsor. From waves of change come oceans of opportunities. This has always been our Women of Color STEM Conference message and mission. Now more than ever, We are expanding our rich history and track record of hosting live streamed award shows and interviews, virtual job fairs, learning and networking experiences as we reset to rise at our 2020 Women of Color Virtual STEM Conference, October 8th through the 10th. The world is counting on us. Come ride the waves of change as you explore our limitless oceans of opportunities that can enrich, inspire, connect, and support your continued professional and personal growth that have always been the hallmarks of our women-driven conference. Together, we can help our nation's industries, government, academia, and the military reset, reinvent, and re-energize. You belong here within our trusted community. Ride the waves of change as we reset to rise. The world is counting on us. Again, this episode of High Tech Sunday is brought to you by the 2020 Women of Color STEM Conference. Now, back to the show. Wow, Captain, you have uh, shifted into a leadership masterclass over here. I'm taking notes. Uh, I, I should have let you know, full disclosure, uh, I'm a pastor and I'm getting some food for sermons like you wouldn't believe as you're talking. Um, uh, I'm going to uh, pass it over to my co-host, Lango Dean, in just a moment. But I want you to know I got my lesson. Five C's and an A. Character. Right. Competence commitment, communication, and courage, and accountability. That applies in so many situations that we find ourselves in today. And I believe that it's a a responsibility that we all have, especially uh, as we are practitioners uh, and in service to not only technology, but the things that matter to our fellow humans. And so I'm going to come back in in a little bit, but uh, Lango, how are you? I'm going to have you jump on in here. Hi, Dr. Vaughn. Um, Fascinating conversation as usual. Um, And, you know, you kind of set the bar so high. (laughs) But, you know, this, but as you know, this segment of the show is always, I like to think about it as, you know, the, the, where we have a little conversation for the kids. So, um, so I'm going to bring it back down, um, and um, that's where I'm going to start with the captain. Uh, captain, over the weekend, I was very privileged to read your book, which was published in 2016. Glad to be here. Um, lessons learned as a, a Blue Angels flight leader and pilot. And um, as I listened to the conversation um, between you and Dr. Vaughn, uh, one um, thing that you mentioned was that the experience that you had that was necessary to be successful. And so as I walk back to what you said in your book, um, you were accepted into Savannah State, I think it was May of 1972, 
uh, you were already influenced by your three older brothers. But more importantly, there was that inspiration that you had. You kind of knew what you wanted to be when you grew up, seeing those planes fly overhead. You always wanted to be a pilot anyway. And then through once you made it to Savannah State, you did an engineering degree, engineering technology degree. And whilst you were there, you were part of the NROTC. Now, I mention all those things because I want young people to understand why all those steps are necessary and all the experience of those things were necessary to your, to your success as a naval aviator. Can you just touch on those things, uh, uh, sort of like your days in the NROTC? Of course, you talked about you know, financial expediency about joining, but there were other things that you gained whilst you were a member of the NROTC that you took forward with you into the Navy and as a naval aviator. And as, you know, luck and chance would have it, you got the opportunity to move forward. So if you could touch on those things for us and help young people understand what it takes to be a pilot. Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, the the advice that, that I share is is not just for a young person that's interested in flying airplanes, but it's also life lessons. And, and, and that's essentially what, what I think is so important. Well, some of the things that I learned at, at Savannah State, one of them was, uh, if you read my book, I, I talk about this ACE concept. And obviously, uh, any fighter pilot want to become an ACE. An ACE means that you achieve five area victories in air-to-air -air combat. Uh, and, and I was not a, a, a combat veteran, so I created ACE to represent the three qualities that I know if I show up every day, I'm going to give myself the best opportunity to crush it. Whether it is going to class or participating in intramural sports or whether it is an engineering project that I'm working on, I know if I show up, the A stands for attitude, character, and enthusiasm. I know that, if, uh, first of all, if I have a positive and engaging attitude. Notice I said engaging. That means positive actions. Uh, and I've learned this, never underestimate the power of a positive and engaging attitude. Uh, and, and I've learned this too. It's not enough for me as an individual to show up with a positive attitude, but I'm responsible for the people around me. And if one of my, my classmates had a uh, a bad attitude. I would say, hey, what's up today? You know, we got to be positive today and get in because the positive attitude with the positive action create positive results. And I learned this too about setbacks in my life. And that is your positive attitude is the only means of converting your failures and setbacks into assets or benefits. Because along the way, you're going to have setbacks and you're going to have you know, you may have issue with an exam. And and I certainly had my fair share of exams uh, issues. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you maintain the positivity and learn from those issues, then you turn that, that value into an asset or a benefit. Now, when it comes down to character, we talked about that already. And the question was, do you walk your talk? Uh, your character counts. Um, are you disciplined? Do you follow the golden rule? How about fairness? Do you treat people fairly and, and show you care? Uh, those are the components of character that we have to embrace because if you're a person of good character, you're going to set the stage for people willing to go the extra mile to help you get through difficulties. And the last one was enthusiasm. Well, the bottom line is you have to have a certain amount of enthusiasm in order to get through the, the challenges of the day, let alone uh, try to pursue your goals. The other point is a person that shows up that has enthusiasm will have a distinct advantage over a person who is disinterested or negative. I mean, just being positive, you have an advantage, an unfair advantage, just by showing up with those traits. 
So my challenge to any young person is, is to figure out one or two, maybe three words that if they showed up displaying those values or qualities, they would give themselves the best opportunity to crush it. Now, there are some other components of, 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 of being success. So I had a chance to run an ROTC unit um, as I was leaving the Navy. And I had students in my ROTC program, and they, they would show up with great SAT scores and GPAs, and some of them would not get through the program. And, and I had to learn, well, why? Why was that? And this is what I learned. When you show up, you can have the best grades, the best GPAs, but if you don't have a burning desire for what you want to achieve, then you're going to succumb to all the issues associated with a, a uh, college experience. You're going to be sidetracked. You're going to, during the course of a four or five year college or high school experience, you're going to have problems with you know, getting along with other people. You're going to have maybe even a death in the family. You're going to have, you may fall in love, fall out of love. You're going to, you might want to join a fraternity. You're going to have those life experiences. And if you don't have that burning desire to keep that spark, that light at the end of the tunnel for you, then you're going to be sidetracked. And uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is you have to avoid self-limiting and self-defeating behaviors. I can tell you, uh, there were a thousand reasons why I shouldn't have made the Blue Angels. And about 980 of them were reasons that I came up with. And so don't stand in your own way by engaging in self-defeating behavior or self-limiting thoughts. Questions such as, well, maybe I'm not good enough. You, you, you don't need to have that type of self-thought. All of us are going to have it, but you can't continue to dwell on it. And the other, other the self-limiting, um, self-defeating behavior, when it's time to go to class, you have to go to class. And you have to make sure that you're fully present when you're in school. Uh, the other things that I learned was you have to learn to, to manage not necessarily your time, but your energy making sure that you show up and you have the necessary energy and focus to be able to learn. And it's not a matter of just time. You have to have it both, not only the time to be there, but also the energy level so that you can be effective in what you do. And the last point I like to make is this. Learning is a lifelong experience. I'm 68 years old, and guess what? If I were going to fly an airplane today, I would have to go take exam and, and go uh, and, and do a simulator and, and all of that. That's because life, learning is a lifelong event. The skills that a young person learns today are lifelong skills. That, so the key is develop fun for learning and make it an enjoyable process. So that when it's time for you to study, you look forward to it and, and can make a difference. So that's that's sort of my my in my comments on uh, to to young people. Thank you, Captain. Um, so if a young person looking at the read through, glad to be here, looking at the photos, they land on the page that has that flying blue angels number three. I mean, you guys are sort of like in a straight line all four of you in a straight line. It's just, it's, it just wows you just looking at the photo right there. And for me, the favorite, my favorite photo was the one that you took with your two kids, uh, Donnie Jr. and Destiny. Right. So what would you say to a young person who wants to fly like you, who gets inspired just by looking at those photos? What would you say to them? Where should they begin? Are there any organizations that they can get involved in? Um, I know there's the military the, uh, the route, the NROTC, and which takes you through to the Navy and becoming a naval aviator. What else can you do if you want to become a pilot as a young person? Well, one of the things I would I would suggest is is some people have the desire to fly, but once they get in the airplane one time, they decide, well, you know, maybe this is not for me. 
So I would encourage them if they have the financial resources to go and get an introductory flight. Uh, and those flights are normally that not that expensive. Um, and and, and in fact, they're probably not as expensive as some video games, believe it or not. So so I would I would I would encourage them to get a introductory flight just to get into the environment and say, okay, let me get this check in the block and see if in fact this is what I want to do. There are some organizations like the ACE program. The Organization of Black Airline Pilots have the ACE program. And this is a program that's very competitive. They want kids to be very good academically um, and have the desire to fly because it's a very competitive process to get into aviation. Uh, and that's despite what's going on currently with the airline industry because, you know, things are, are tough right now. But invariably, they're going to change. Um, and so the good news is, is I think that those are the, the initial steps that I would take. And the other steps that I would take is academically. You have to make sure that you have a strong academic background. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have all math, but some science will certainly help. Um, there are lots of pilots that are political science majors, uh, you, know, you name it. Some pilots were able to get out uh, out of high school and go fly right away. But in the military and most commercial environments, they would like for you to have some secondary education. Normally, you would achieve that going to a flight school. So the challenge is, how do you finance that type of expense to go through, um, let's see, flight training? For me, I didn't have the money, so I, I had to go through a military process. The airlines at one point were looking at shortages of pilot. Right now, they don't have that problem. But as soon as this downturn is over, they will probably have that challenge. So if you're a young person and still interested in flying, this is, not a, this is actually a good time to be pursuing because you're preparing yourself, and it may take three or four years before you're ready. And by that time, this this cycle we're going through will be complete. Thank you, Captain. And um, yeah, I I note that comment you made about this cycle that we're going through, because I'm on the web page now for the uh, Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals, and a lot of their training programs um, have been canceled. We're canceled in June. We're canceled in July. Right. Um, so what do we what do we say to the kids right now for the aerospace career education academy where where are they at well i would say there's still there are still lots of things you can be doing there are lots of simulator programs you can do online there are academics that you can do this is not the time to give up this is time to get to get prepared especially if you're a young person and don't have any experience don't be discouraged by what is happening in the airline industry at this time. I work for UPS and FedEx, and I can tell you they're flying lots of flying uh, because they're not impacted by the passengers. Uh, the military still needs lots of pilots. And so, uh, and the airlines will eventually need lots of pilots. But this is the time to be preparing, to, to putting your cool pouch together so that when things change or turn around, then you will be prepared uh, to, to go to the next level. So that's my advice to, uh, to, to young people right now. But I understand, I, I'm perfectly aware of, of what's happening with, when it comes down to uh, training opportunities and that sort of thing. There's just, uh, they're airlines are bleeding money, so they don't have resources to be able to allocate like they, they were at one time. Mm. Thank you for that, Captain. Thank you yep. so very much. Um, at this point, I'm going to hand it back to Dr. Vaughn, um, and uh, he's going to delve a little more into flying and uh, human lessons, everyday lessons that we take away from uh, someone who's really, you know, had such a, a flying career, so to speak. Right. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. 
Thanks a lot, Lango. And, and again, uh, Captain, really enjoying this conversation. Thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, just a glimpse into a peek behind the curtain uh, to your uh, history and all that uh, has led you to this point. Got to ask a question. Uh, you and Lango had a really engaging conversation about the book, Glad to Be Here. Can you tell us Where'd that come from? What was the, the uh, inspiration for that title? What does that mean? Uh, that, that is a very good question. Well, the phrase is actually used by the Blue Angels even today. Uh, at the end of your flight, we have a debrief. And each pilot and support officer, there was a total of about 15 to 16 people in the room, and each person give their self-assessment on how the air show went. And as you provide your input, at the end of your comments, you will say, I'm glad to be here, boss. And the boss will say, I'm glad to be here. And what that phrase meant was, it was an expression of gratitude for the effort that it took for you to get to the team and the effort that it takes for you to stay a part of the team. So it was an expression of gratitude. And uh, glad to be here is, is, is a wonderful expression. And, and I think all of us should ask ourselves where we are in our journey, in our life journey, and say, hey, am I glad to be here? And if the answer is no, then we need to be figuring out why is that? What do I need to do to change the outcome? of my life so that I will feel I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this team. I'm glad to be a part of this organization. I'm glad to be at work. Uh, I'm glad to be in this country. And if it's not, then we go, well, why is that? And what do we need to do to, to change it? And so so it's a, it's a great expression and it applies to so many aspects of our lives. And, uh, and it's important for us to take ownership for how we answer that that question, and uh, so so that's what the emphasis of the book is. There, I mean, I had all kinds of challenges in my life, in the Navy, in the Blues. Once I left the Blues, I've had all kinds of challenges, but at the end of the day, I'm always able to say, I'm glad to be here. That is so cool. Uh, we're just about out of time. I got to ask you this final question really quickly. Uh, it, it's going back to, uh, as Lango put it, for the kids, but I'm asking for myself as well. You're up there in command of the, that aircraft, and it certainly has to be an adrenaline rush, but you also got to imagine that as a man of faith, it, it has to impact how you feel close to God. Uh, can you put into words what it feels like to be up there flying the way that you did? Well, uh, I can tell you, most of the time, you were focused on the task at hand. Now, the the at, the feelings of being in touch with a higher power or God was as you were preparing to go fly all of us in some way said our, our silent and sometimes open prayer for a safe and successful flight and then we had to convert that prayer into action to stay focused on precisely what we were doing every second had to be accounted for uh, you had to be mentally tough to be able to focus on precisely what you were doing during the entire 45 minutes. And then when you landed, then all of a sudden that exhilaration, that excitement, it come pouring out. But in the moment, you're so focused on the moment. Now there are moments when you're in the air show, you feel, oh, this is a good one. I feel great about it. And then there are times, oh, this is a challenging flight. I got to step it up. Uh, but but at the end of the day, the excitement came when you went to the crowd line and you saw those young people, little African-American boys and girls, 
white kids, Hispanic kids, it didn't matter. They all look up to you with that little tweaker in their eye saying, hey, I want to be just like you. And so all of that effort that you put in in that air show, that was your reward. And then you had to go to the debris. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it was it, the, the dynamic you, you went through. But let me end with, with, with one other comment. I, I mentioned mental toughness. Well, well, what does that mean? And, and I, I used to say, hey, you got to be mental, mentally tough. Well, I had to come up with, well, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it means being disciplined, doing the thing you must do when you don't feel like, like it. It means uh, self-control in difficult situations. In other words, controlling your emotions, not overreacting, not flying off the handle just because things are not going your way. It means exercising strength under control. That applies for when you're in charge. Just because you are the leader doesn't give you the right to just, you know, mess over someone because you don't like them. And the other one is maintain that positive and engaging attitude as you're dealing with being disciplined, as you're controlling your emotions, as you're exercising strength under control. Maintaining that positive and engaging attitude is vitally important for mental toughness. Thank you so much for that context. I've got to tell you, Captain Donnie Cochran, if I can say big time, we are all blessed and grateful. We are glad to be here and to have had the opportunity to have this time with you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of High Tech Sunday. Brandon, we're going to hand it back to you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.